Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Well, the virus is now. Eddie Gloud is with us and uh, he has a question for you, Richard. Eddie. So, Richard, uh, in some ways, um, uh, this is not surprising. Remember, Steve Bannon gave us those buckets, and part of those, uh, one aspect of those buckets involved uh, a certain understanding of U.S. nationalism, of economic sovereignty, and the like. So talk to me a little bit, uh, talk to us a little bit about this ideology that undergirds the kind of dismantling of the post-World War II consensus. What are its parameters? What are its contents? In other words, it's not just Trump's for lack of a better word, stupidity and ignorance. It seems to be an ideological position combined with his ignorance that has led to the dismantling of the post-World War II consensus. Talk a little bit about what that, what that ideology is and what it entails. Uh, thanks, Professor. Look, there's several strands to it. One is the idea that alliances cost us more than they benefit we get, we get taken advantage of. Another is that any institution somehow limits our, our options. And what you want to do is preserve uh, any, you know, the option to do whatever it is uh, we want at, at any time. There is this, this view of sovereignty as something that can't in any way be, be, be compromised. But again, none of this makes sense in a world where allies are our, our single biggest advantage. We wake up every day as Americans with dozens of countries that are well disposed to working with us in Europe and Asia, the two most strategic theaters of the world. Why would we push that away? Why in a global age where America, would the United States not want to work with others to meet these challenges, like, for example, infectious health threats that obviously we can't deal with alone? So this narrow view of a sovereign America ignores our great advantage with allies, and it ignores the reality that in a global era, we cannot thrive on our own. These oceans that surround us, the last time I checked, Eddie, they're not moats. And that idea seems to escape Mr. Bannon and, and his ilk. Yeah. Because all they're waiting for, and China too, they're hoping, they're hoping that I'm defeated. Because if I'm defeated, China will own the United States, and Iran will go back to a deal even better than the first terrible deal where they got 150 billion plus 1.8 billion in green. Yeah. Well, Tiffany, I'm not conflating Portland with anything because I don't think you can conflate Portland with anything. I think leadership in Portland and in the state of uh, state of Oregon is about as bad and and provides a pretty good guidebook how to keep chaos going in the streets. Uh, for months, and you have the head of the NAACP out in Portland uh, talking about how these protests have gotten away. 
uh, from me. So yeah, I'm for sure. Conflating, I, I'm not conflating Portland with anything. I think Portland is a basket case all into itself. Welcome to episode 331, War Room Pandemic begins now, Thursday, August the 13th, the year of our Lord 2020, broadcasting live from a very wet and rainy Capitol Hill. Jack Maxi, Raheem Kassam, Vishbura here in the War Room, joined down the line by Stephen K. Bannon, bringing on Jack Posobiec in just a moment. I want to remind you all, we're on the America's Voice dot news and network on G News and GTV subtitled in Mandarin and blown through the Chinese firewall, the CCP's firewall, Newsmax TV later on in the day, and of course on the John Fredericks Radio Network. I want to throw it now to Stephen K. Bannon. Yeah, I want to thank uh, the Morning Joe crowd for uh, discussing uh, today uh, American nationalism and our sovereignty uh, versus uh, globalism. I just want to refer to uh, make sure Dr. Haas uh, Richard Haas knows over the Council of Foreign Relations. I know that the two oceans are not moats. In fact, Dr. Haas, back in the mid-70s, as a young naval officer, I was on the destroyer patrolling the South China Sea and making sure it was free for uh, safe navigation and open navigation for all of our allies in that area. We're going to be talking about that a little later in the show. We were going to start with all this about President Trump and, and China and, and, and uh, the Chinese Communist Party, what they've done to this nation, what they've done to the Chinese people. And to talk about the to compare that with what the globalists think but i think the professor from princeton was quite correct there is a deep ideology here uh, that's more than whatever they think president trump's competence in foreign policy we happen to think it's been uh, very competent in fact his leadership has been pretty amazing in putting together the first coherent actual war plan including allies against the chinese communist party but so much happened overnight in uh, in portland and you see the morning joe crowd this is the tell they're trying to walk away from They're saying, hey, you can't conflate Portland with anything. Portland's its own special case. So that's actually not true because Antifa is at the, uh, is at the, is in back of all this. You saw yesterday, I think, One American News. That's one of the Prosovic in. One American News had the, uh, had their uh, great reporter ask the question about, uh, about Antifa. And I think the president said, you know, Biden and Harris, the Biden Harris ticket has to, has to denounce Antifa. I think we got to do more than that. I think Antifa's got to be declared a terrorist organization. It shouldn't be, Raheem, just a domestic terrorist organization. Your amazing work over in the UK and on the continent, you know for years that this is an international organization with international connections, and that's the financing, that's the support we want to get to. So I want to bring Jack, uh, Jack Pasova again. I just want to also give a programming note for all the Dr. Uh, Hosses and everybody who thinks we're just a bunch of... Uh, you know, inbred nationalists is that on Saturday our special is going to rate and celebrate uh, the National Independence Day of India. We're going to have an incredible show. Dave Ramaswamy, Jay Kansara will be in studio to co-host with Vish Burra and Jack Maxey. We couldn't be prouder uh, talking about the Alliance of Liberty 
and Dr. Haas, we hope you're taking notes, but the Alliance of Liberty is coming together uh, from uh, India. We're going to have so many special guests. We're going to celebrate for two hours uh, the Indian National Independence Day in, in a great, uh, great show that Vish and the team have put together. Sounds so like treason to me, Steve. About this on Saturday. Uh, Raheem, let's get... It'd be what? Sounds like treason to me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's uh, let's bring in uh, Jack Posobiec. Raheem, also want your thoughts. I mean, the president said yesterday, I think it was in the press conference, and answering One American News, the question was about Antifa. But and it got you know every, the whole mainstream media jumped on it because said, oh, this is One American News. This is a conspiracy theory. Something about the Antifa site linking to Joe Biden's. Uh, Joe Biden's website. That's I don't think that important. What I think is important is about this. Uh, you know, we need more than just announcing Antifa. We need action, action, action. We've actually got an in-bed reporter out there, uh, undercover. That's actually going to be on the show hopefully tomorrow. But all this footage we get is inside baseball footage of exactly what's going on. Jack, you've had a chance to talk to people. Uh, you've had a chance to review the footage. Uh, I've argued from day one. Taking the federal agents out of Portland was a big mistake. I don't think we gained anything by letting the Portland police try to take over or the, the Portland State Police or the local Portland authorities. The thing is a complete mess. Morning Joe in the, in the, in the progressive left is trying to walk away from this and saying, oh, this is just an isolated problem. It's not an isolated problem. This is inextricably linked with this cultural Marxism, this radical anarchy, of certain elements of the Black Lives Matter, particularly the underpinnings of it, right? Not having to do with the murder of Mr. Floyd and the issues out there in Minnesota, uh, but it's uh, in it, this Antifa, you know, top to bottom, stem to stern, are definitely anarchist, communist, cultural Marxist, and out for the destruction of the United States of America. It's outrageous to me that we don't have tiger teams, we don't have uh, war rooms out there, the Justice Department seems to be very disengaged. You know, we're huge fans of uh, Attorney General Barr, and particularly what he's done to stand up the Chinese Communist Party. We would love to see the Justice Department start to stand up to the Communist Party here in the United States of America, particularly when their focus is the destruction of the rule of law and the destruction of the United States of America. Jack Posobiec, want to get you and Raheem's thoughts exactly what's going on in Portland. And what's happened that Morning Joe and this crowd are sitting there going, oh, no, 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 no. You know, all the peaceful protesters are walking away from this, et cetera. What's the reality out there, Pasovic? Yes, Steve, thanks again for having me on. And I did have the opportunity to speak to the uh, on-scene reporter that's out there. I'm not going to use his name because he has asked to be remain anonymous. He's, he is there in an undercover capacity, and I want to be observant of that and respectful of his operational security, his OPSEC, the same way uh, that I maintained OPSEC while I was undercover in Seattle at the CHAZ. Uh, what we saw last night was that after 12 days uh, from this agreement that was held between the state of Oregon and Chad Wolf, the acting director of Homeland Security, we were told that the local police and state authorities were going to be maintaining security in the city of Portland and that they would protect the federal courthouse. Last night, that did not happen. Instead, you saw these Antifa radicals go back to the federal courthouse. They were burning American flags. They were burning a, a replica pig's head, uh, you know, sort of as a, as a symbol of the police. They threw that at the federal courthouse. They were burning Trump flags in one instance I saw 
on these videos, they were firing off commercial grade uh, firework rockets at police officers at the federal courthouse. And so this entire narrative of the media and many, uh, many Democrats elected officials that the federal, uh, you know, the federal presence there at the courthouse is what was causing the violence. No, the violence is being caused by an anarcho-communist insurrectionist movement known as Antifa or anti-fascism. They have declared the United States and our system of a, a Republican government, small r Republican government, for the Constitution to be fascism, and they have decided that peaceful means, they expressly state this in their doctrine and in their propaganda, that peaceful means will not be followed, they will resort to violence. Their violence is caused by their ideology, it is their choice, it is not caused by law enforcement. Uh, Jack and uh, Raheem jump in here, just one comment on, on uh, for uh, Pasovic is that what did we gain? I understand what President Trump, I think what President Trump and the administration are trying to do is saying, hey, if, if you think it's caused by us, we'll back off. But to me, that was a surrender to, to the Antifa element. They had no, I, they never considered backing off. They were just waiting to pick their shots. Walk the audience through, we've had this tremendous footage every day, but walk the audience through in the 12 days since federal authorities have backed off, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a fiasco every night. In fact, that audio is from the other night where they had to declare a riot, right? And that's a, that's a term of art that means they can use other tactics, and they're warning people about that. So what have we gained, and what did we anticipate we were going to gain when these guys are hardcore, well-trained, well-funded, coordinated terrorist group? And, Steve, this is what people need to understand. We're now at day 76 of these militant riots in the city of Portland. So 12 days after that agreement between DHS and Oregon, but it's also day 76. What does that mean? That means that this has evolved into something akin to trench warfare. These people have become hardened. They've, they're now operationalizing. They've now instituted cells. They understand how the black block tactic works. They know how to use it to their advantage. They can deploy it. Uh, from their staging locations to wherever they want around the city. One night they might be at the federal courthouse, the next night they might be at the police, uh, the police benevolent association, the police union there in Portland. These are coordinated militant tactics. This is not what we would see in terms of a peaceful protest. We're seeing peaceful protests in Eastern Europe right now. They're being cracked down on. Yeah, but Jack. instead, we're in Portland, we're seeing hacks. These are attacks Jack. on federal facilities, state facilities, and local facilities. And instead of... Jack, we need to break. We'll come back to you. Stephen K. Bannon, our war room team, Jack Maxey, Vishbora, Raheem Kassam, broadcasting live here from Washington, D.C. Hashtag war and pandemic to have your say. We'll be right back. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon.
Welcome back to the show. Remember, 2020 being the the gut punch that it is, you're going to need every possible advantage to succeed. Smart companies run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. Get your free guide right now at netsuite.com slash Bannon. Welcome back to the war room. Raheem Kassan Vishbura, Jack Maxi, Jack Vasobic, Stephen K. Bannon. Over, Over back to you, Steve. Yeah, okay, we have two problems here, guys. Number one, we got a problem in Portland. We've allowed a major American city, a great American city, to now be in, what, it's deep into, starting its third month, Jack, I think he says day 74, of total anarchy, right? And then you have this whole issue of Antifa as a terrorist organization. The tell for the country, the tell for the administration, and the tell for the Trump campaign should be Morning Joe's scramble this morning to separate out the left-wing Democrats and the progressive Democrats away from this problem. Guess what? It's not going to happen. You've allowed this to happen. You've embraced this. You've honored it. You've pushed it. You've shown it respect. And now you own it. But here's what's got to happen. We have two issues. Number one, law and order and safety for the people in Portland. Both the people who agree with President Trump and the people who disagree with him has to be restored. And the way to do that is like Elizabeth Warren and others told us the other day, it's quite simple. You need a convergence of law enforcement and the Justice Department. You need the enforcement side, but you also need the prosecutors. Where are the U.S. attorneys? Where are the arrests? Where's the grand jury? You know, these guys are crossing state lines. They ought to pull out the RICO charges. This is a conspiracy. And it's just unacceptable to have it go on day and day and day and day and day. And now we're in the situation we retreated 12 days ago, and what we said on the show 12 days ago is, hey, this is only going to embolden these people. They're not there to negotiate. There's no terms to negotiate. Raheem, as you know better than anybody, and Pasovic and Jack, the point of the revolution is the revolution. They have no terms that you can negotiate the, with these folks on. Mm. The ter- they are there. They are revolutionaries. These are anarchists, and this is not overstatement. So Raheem and Jack, I want to go back to number one. What did we gain from backing off from the last 12 days, and what should be the coordinated actions today, both by the prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys, the state's attorney general, bring the rule of law and the force of law down on these anarchists, because right now the anarchists are winning. Jack Pasobic, Raheem Kassam, thoughts? Yeah, Jack, I'll, 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 ju- I'll throw it to you in just a second. I just want to make something very clear as well about all of this, is that the, the public expects the president to follow through with his pledge to designate Antifa and the people who are coalescing these things together as a terrorist organization. And I want to get your thoughts on this, because, and, and, and especially with Steve's point in mind about what do we gain from backing off on all of that? Because as far as I see it, you are 8 USC 1189 states very clearly the three things you need to be declared a foreign terrorist organization. You have to have involvement internationally. That's 
clear. You have to be engaged in terrorist activity or terrorism or retain the capability and intent to engage in terrorist activity or terrorism. Uh, and your activity must threaten the security of the United States, its nationals, or the national security of the United States. Jack, over to you. Everything that's absolutely right. And we've seen Antifa activity from all across Western Europe. Of course, obviously, uh, Antifa was originally formed in Germany in the 1930s. So this is not something uh, that is even natural or, or, or uh, native to American shores. This is, this is a German movement originally of German communists. And we've also seen at times uh, Antifa traveling to the Middle East to receive training from, in some cases, from extremists in the Middle East uh, during, uh, during 2014-2015 time period. And so this designation that we've been expecting, not only has President Trump declared this, but A.G. Barr has been very clear that he's going to call for this. And so whether or not the Joint Terrorism Task Forces are actually being populated and used for all of the tools and the full spread of national security implements that our federal government has needs to be used against the ones perpetuating crimes in this movement. It's cool. It's absolutely clear. We have these laws in place for a reason. We have the systems in place for a reason. We have the intelligence agencies in place for a reason. They are meant to protect the rights and the safety of American citizens, regardless of what their politics are, regardless of what uh, what person they vote for. You know, I'm sure Portland isn't exactly pro-Trump city. That's not the point. The point is law and order. That is what President Trump ran on, and people are going to expect him to be able to employ those federal assets against this group in a legal fashion to begin to arrest the ringleaders, to bring them to justice, to meet them during the daytime to go to their homes and when they who have probable cause of the ones who are committing crimes and organizing riots or especially if they're crossing state lines you arrest them and you prosecute them and then this will stop but the reason it has gone on for 76 days but, but, hey, Jack, hey, Jack, i just want to jump in for a second i want to jump in i just want to jump in a second for our radio audience that that can't see this we've got this footage uh exclusive footage up that we've had a uh, an embed uh, taking it, it's absolutely extraordinary. We're going to tweet this out. But you can't understand what's going on in Portland, Jack Raheem, until you see this footage. The mainstream media is not playing this. This is a city that's being taken over by anarchists. And it's unacceptable in the 21st century in a modern industrial country that's based upon the rule of law to allow this to happen. This is 74 days. We have two issues before us. Number one is putting this down in Portland, other cities in the country. The other is designating this a terrorist organization so we can start to get to the financing. Remember, what you're seeing in, these, in this footage, this incredible footage we have, is the fact that we've got, uh, you know, you've got anarchists out there. That's the tip of the spear. They're the foot soldiers. Behind them is a well-organized, well-financed, well-coordinated network. It's the network that has to be shattered, just like we shattered the networks of radical Islamic terrorism. You have to shatter this network that is a terrorist organization. Right now, they've got Portland by the throat. And to tell that they got Portland by the throat, the guys at Morning Joe are trying to run away from this so quickly and trying to give you, hey, nothing to see here. Uh, you know, this has already been reported. Let's move on. You can't move on. This is it. It's got to come from the Justice Department. It has to come from, it has to come from, uh, homeland security and those agents should be back out there today 
Raheem, back to you for your thoughts. Steve, here's the dirty little secret about this, and then I'll throw it over to Jack Maxey here, who I know wants to jump in. But the dirty little secret about all of this, and I'm glad you brought that up about the network, because the designation as a terrorist organization would allow federal prosecutors to expose the wider networks, the wider networks of activists, of recruiters, but yes, also of financiers and the foreign links behind any of these groups. But here's the dirty little secret that nobody on the establishment media wants to tell you, is that a lot of these groups and their splinter groups and their subgroups and their partners and their allies as they call them, take money from what we would think of or have been led to believe are quote-unquote reputable organizations. Charities, foundations, people uh, with big corporate names behind them are funneling money, whether it's directly or indirectly, into activities like this that are going on. And that is why there is still a lot of pressure heaping on this administration to not designate Antifa a terrorist organization. Because guess what? A lot of these organizations that we've heard from plenty of times before would go down with that ship. Jack. And the other thing, why we should put a uh, terrorist designation on this, we're seeing in Chicago, for example, the district attorney there will not prosecute people. They, They get busted for a crime and they will never get prosecuted. The same thing is going on in Portland, same thing is going on in Seattle. If we created a federal structure with which to prosecute these things, we would have a lot better opportunity to put some of these people behind bars. And as we talk about anarchists and the problem in the country, I was reminded of the uh, Sacco and Vanzetti case back in uh, the early 20s when anarchism was uh, on the rise in the United States. And that case pretty much put an end to the whole thing, those two guys getting hung by ropes. So not that we have that uh, uh, avenue on our behalf these days, but I do think you gotta, you got to attack this with a hammer. And the sooner the hammer drops, the better this country is going to be. And you're going to watch the support for Donald Trump explode, in my opinion. Steve, we've got about a minute here. Yeah, it, 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 Jack, leave it to Jack Maxey to bring in the capital crime. <laughs> if media doesn't pick that up, they're not on watch this morning. No, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a great point, Jack. We, we've had this anarchy problem you know, before. I don't want to be, try to be cute, but we, what we have now is systemic anarchy. That's the point of what this is. This is, a, this is a device of communist, cultural Marxism, the cultural revolution. It's got to be faced. It's got to be, it's, and it's got to be dismantled. And it's spread it's city to city to city. Raheem, you said the other day, I think you talk about, they're talking about a siege of Washington that's going to start in September and run all the way up to the, uh, all the, way up to the, to the uh, election day. Remember, the Democratic Party, the quote-unquote moderates and conservatives of the Democratic Party, don't have control of this anymore. This is spun out of control. This is a convergence of wokeness. This is a convergence yep. of progressivism. And this is a, is a convergence of anarchy. Yeah, Steve, we've got to bounce here. I want to thank Jack Posobiec. You can follow him at, at Jack Posobiec across uh, social media. We'll be back in the next segment. Dr. Rish will be joining us. Once again, Jack Maxey will lead the conversation. Stephen K. Bannon, Raheem Kassam. We'll be right back. with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. 
Well, 2020 has indeed been a gut punch to American business. And if you're going to succeed in the back of all of this, you need every possible advantage. NetSuite by Oracle is a sponsor of this show in the world's number one cloud business system. Smart companies run on NetSuite because NetSuite gives them the visibility and control over their financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need all in one place. So whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in sales, NetSuite lets you manage every penny with precision. So join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to make it happen for them. They surveyed hundreds of business leaders, assembling a playbook of the top strategies they're using as America reopens for business. Get your free guide. It's called Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash Bannon. That's a free guide and free product tour at netsuite.com slash Bannon. Welcome back to the war room. We're grateful to have Jack Posobiec in those first two segments. I'm going to pivot now. Dr. Harvey Risch has written this extraordinary uh, opinion piece in the uh, Washington Examiner. I want to throw it over to Stephen K. Bannon, and then Jack Maxey is going to help us lead this conversation. Steve? Yeah, Raheem, as you know, the, the, the war room set up for action, action, action. That's what we've recommended to the Trump administration, to the president personally, is that this campaign, this election, this, his reelect is going to come down to him as the driver of action. He's the protagonist in this drama. And we just talked about what we believe has to happen now out in Portland and other cities about this anarchy that's going on and really destroying some of the greatest cities in America. Also, you turn to the medical front. Remember, we had Stephen Mosher on yesterday about this new book published in Italy by Dr. Giuseppe Tritto, one of the world's leading experts, runs one of the biggest institutions for UNESCO about genetic engineering and the impact on genetic in engineering on, uh, on human beings. And that discussion of his new book about the Wuhan lab and what is it, is it actually this virus uh, human-enabled or human-enhanced. We're going to get more into that in the second hour of the show and also tomorrow. Uh, in talking about the CCP and this war against the CCP, it's one of the reasons we're having on Saturday a two-hour special on India to commemorate India Independence Day. We're going to have Dave Ramaswamy, Jack Kinsella. You've got to tune in. It's one of the great building of the uh, Alliance of Liberty that Richard Haas uh, kind of uh, talked uh, down about us today on the uh, Morning Joe show. But we want to show him that actually being a nationalist and being an economic nationalist doesn't mean you don't work with allies. You actually partner with allies. But in all this, all this turbulence, all this fourth turning, you're seeing heroes appear every day. Uh, our next guest, and Jack Maxey, I'll turn over to you, is an American hero, American patriot. He's put himself out there when he didn't have to, to really talk about saving the lives of American citizens. On your death certificate, it does not log in whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whether you're a Trump MAGA supporter or you're on the progressive left. It doesn't matter. You're dead. And this is what we're talking about, American citizens that are dying later in the next hour and talk about the, the new federal state of China, the protests yesterday outside the embassy in Toronto, and what's the sign they have? The CCP lied and Canadians died. That's what we've seen throughout the world. And we have heroes now stepping up to say, hey, there's a way, there are methods out there that we can stop the death, stop the destruction. Jack Maxey wants you to bring in our honored guest and American patriot, Dr. Risch. Hey, once again, people, we're pleased to uh, have Dr. Rich on the show today. He works at Yale University. He's in the Yale School of Medicine. He's an esteemed epidemiologist. He has been writing for months about why we should put hydroxychloroquine on the front lines here, particularly in early stage. 
And one of the things, Doctor, I want you to come out and right out of the box, because I think it needs to be reiterated every day. There are two different stages of this disease. Can you define the difference and define why hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, works in the first stage and does not work in the second stage? So, good morning. Uh, uh, yes, that is correct. The disease starts with a severe cold, a flu-like illness that lingers for a while while the virus is replicating. And the immune system is facing it one way or another. It, the virus replicates while the immune system tries to keep it in check. And for some people, the immune system is not able to keep it in check. And around day six, seven, eight, on average, in those people, it progresses into a pneumonia and, and potentially a very severe and life-threatening pneumonia. And this is one where people start with shortness of breath and it becomes severe shortness of breath if it's not treated and those people usually get hospitalized. At that point, the treatments are different. If you're treating a pneumonia where the lungs are filled with the, the breakdown products of, of immune cells, then it's a, it, things that prevent the virus from replicating don't work. It's a different disease process. So what we have are two main stages. There's more, but, but at least at the, the outset, we have two main stages of treating the virus for its replication at the beginning. And if that doesn't work or it isn't done, then having to treat the pneumonia much more aggressively with different medications. And we know now that that hydroxychloroquine and zinc and its other, what I would call companion medications, azithromycin, doxycycline, antibiotics, and so on, and maybe ivermectin as well, those medications work in the viral replication phase at the beginning of the illness. And they work very effectively when given as a cocktail that basically hammers the, the virus replication. That's what's needed in order to help the immune system to cope at that point. It works very well for people who need to take it. The people who need to take it are the ones whose immune system won't be able to cope with it. Those are what we call high-risk people. People over age 60 or with obesity or diabetes or high blood pressure or who have had cancer in the past or other immune-related uh, conditions, those are the high-risk people for whom the virus gets the better of the people and multiplies out of control and needs to be treated. The low-risk people, people under 60 with none of those conditions, more or less has an, have immune systems that can cope. And so they don't need to be treated. It's unpleasant, but they cope. It's not life-threatening. When you look at the studies that are only of these high-risk people and treated early, all the studies show that the medications work. There is not one study, none, that shows that the medications don't work. In those people, in those high-risk people, it is uniformly evident from every study that's looked at them that the medications work. So the question is, how do we get that into practice? And how do we get people to understand that pushback on this question arises from reasons that have nothing to do with the, the efficacy in the first place? It has to do with completely non-scientific reasons why people don't want to see this medication in widespread use. That means it comes from manufacturers of competing products who are afraid that this medication will work better than their products. And therefore, their products will be reduced in marketability on a fair playing field in, in the medical arena when people start to use it. Dr. Rish, I think that is the biggest thing. Can I just jump in there and get you yes. to clarify something there? Because you're being very, you're being very polite about it. Um, 
you mean they're worried they won't be able to make as much money? Well, yes. I, I think, look, drug companies invest huge amounts of money into the development of products. It's not like they snap their fingers that they do one or two studies and out pops a, a useful drug. They probably test a thousand drugs before they find one that actually works and is safe to use. And that's the, those are the ones that are the tip of the iceberg that we see outside of the drug companies. So the investments by drug companies are huge, and it's not unreasonable for them to be able to make back that big investment in order to be profitable. We want them to be profitable because that's what keeps them in existence and why they develop good drugs. But the flip side of that is that they cannot use untoward, you know, non-competitive means to prove that their products work better than existing products or other products in the marketplace. Right, right. But again, That's still but, the bottom line. But, but again, Dr. Rich, and, and feel free to push back against me because you're the expert in this area, but I just, I, it does strike me as, as, again, you're being very polite when you say uh, they need to make their money back and they need to make a profit on these things. You know, the 35 large pharmaceutical companies from 2000 to 2018 turned a gross profit of $8.6 trillion. These, these aren't companies living on the bread line. Well, it's not for me to say what the profit margins should be. And I agree with you that the, that trillion dollars that you see from there is actually a large fraction of it is probably plowed back into drug development. As I said, the drug development is very uncertain and requires huge investments. And that's, you see, a very large tension between the amounts of money involved in order to create new drugs, most of which fail. And so it's very difficult to actually determine what's a reasonable amount of profit, and I'm certainly not an economist who could do anything like that. Dr. Risch, I'm interested in the fact that you've been sort of attacked. You said in your article today that uh, essentially Dr. Fauci has, has claimed that you are irrational or he said that you're incompetent. How does it feel with somebody with your background, hundreds of academic papers underneath your belt, you know, until this event, a highly esteemed scientific peer with a global reputation. How does it feel to get attacked like that, particularly when we see the same person who seems to be attacking you quite sensitive to attacks against himself? It seems to be a bit un untoward, in my opinion. Well, my feeling has always been that if people are calling you names, it means they don't have valid arguments to use instead. That if somebody's got a scientific argument, to me, bring it on. I'm perfectly happy to debate the science, but these people are not debating the science. They're just name calling and that bounces off me because there's no argument there. I'm a scientist and I defend my views because of the science, not because of any other biases. So the point is, if they have reasons that they think my science is wrong, let them write letters to the editor, publish articles, display their science, and then we'll discuss the science. You know, it was interesting. You said something about uh, possible that ivermectin might be used. And we're seeing that a little bit in India, and I don't want to get into the weeds on it. But certainly the marketplace has declared that Gilead's uh, remdesivir is not going to be the, the silver bullet. The stock price has dropped now to the level it was before they announced that they were going to start ramping up production on this. So not science, but the market does have a point of view, and it's pretty clear that they're not... They're not in the uh, in the bed with uh, Gilead on that basis anymore. And again, you know, ivermectin is an off-patent drug that is uh, pennies per dosage, just like hydroxychloroquine. 
doctor, can you tell us what do you think the what are the motivations for the FDA? Why are they so against this? I mean, we touched upon it a little bit. We know that the NIH and FDA have a very strong relationship with American pharmaceutical companies. But it seems to me, and it seems from your article, that there there seems to be something more here that goes beyond science. Could you touch on that a little bit? Well, I have no direct knowledge of individual behaviors at the FDA. What I can say is what the FDA has actually put out and possible reasons for that that are suppositions on my part. The FDA publishes on its website its financial support, and on that webpage, they say that a third of their support comes from drug company income. The drug companies pay for using the FDA for services that the FDA requires the drug companies to do. So the FDA is dependent upon drug companies participating in that process, and a large fraction of its budget comes from the drug company monies. Secondly, the FDA puts its evaluations on its website in terms of warnings for drugs to be used or not to be used. And they've done this irrationally in the case of hydroxychloroquine, where they have a warning, a black letter warning, saying that it should not be used for outpatient use, use outside of the hospital. Hey, and directly under that, Dr. they Rish, say this is based on inpatient hospitalist patients. Dr. Yes. Rish, we, we just have a quick break. Can we, can we hold you over to the next segment? Would you mind staying with us? Sure. All right, fantastic. Dr. Rish returns. Jack Maxi Vishwar, Raheem Kassam, the team here at War Room Pandemic return also in just a moment. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Well, welcome back to The War Room, episode 331. It is August the 13th, the year of our Lord, 2020. I want to give a shout out to everybody who's sharing this show, who's making it grow, who's getting us more subscriptions, uh, sending out our emails. Everybody out there amongst the activist audience who's tuned into this, we thank you uh, for your efforts because without them, um, let's say Dr. Vrish and, and the other great voices uh, supporting HCQ and, 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 and the real health and well-being of ordinary people all around the world um, may not have um, such a large platform to reach people with. I know Dr. Rish was on CNN the other day. I'm sure, um, Dr. Rish, they'll have you on again soon and maybe they'll even let you speak next time. Uh, we're very grateful to have you back uh, with us here. I want to throw it over to Jack Maxey to go back through your uh, your amazing Washington Examiner uh, article. We're going to link to it in the live chat. I'm going to put it out in the email today. It's going to go up on the War and Pandemic site. I'm going to tweet it. Um, we're going to just get it as far and wide as possible. Jack, back over to you. Uh, Dr. Risch was just before the break going through this idea of the kind of relationship between the FDA and the pharmaceutical companies. He said that essentially one-third of the monies used by the FDA for accomplishing their goals comes from the pharmaceutical industry. It's largely because of trials, tests, et cetera, that need to be done to get FDA approval. But it does create a kind of odd relationship inside of a government agency uh, when it comes to promoting uh, drugs that are off patent. And you said, I can only speculate about the cause of the FDA's recalcitrance. 
Hydroxychloroquine is an inexpensive generic medication, unlike certain profit-generating patented medications, which have been promiscuously touted on the slimmest of evidence. Hydroxychloroquine has no natural financial constituency. Now, to me, that that is uh, that's something that bears a little bit more research on the part of our viewers, on the part of we Americans, when we consider how our government works and how it's supposed to work on our behalf. Uh, Dr. Risch, can you explain why it is that the FDA continues to use to rationalize these studies of hydroxychloroquine on late stage patients versus uh, bringing any attention to the multitude of studies that show it works as a prophylaxis? end in early stage quite effectively. Can you talk about why it is that they just seem to deny that the existence of those studies? I think that they have a very strong bias that they are not revealing why from what they say, but will re be revealed in time by how they act. And so you will see this when the FDA approves either for EUA or other mechanisms when they approve drugs that have much lower levels of evidence supporting them, you'll see that when the FDA approves those drugs that they will have used different standards and one can address why they use different standards. And I think that this is something that the FDA does not publicly reveal. However, there are government processes that can be used to open the FDA to daylight as to how they make these decisions. And that is the way things will likely progress. Now, doctor, let's say you're, and I still think you should be on the president's advisory commission. Mr. President, if you're listening, this wonderful man has offered his services already once on the show. But I guess what I'm saying is you're sitting in the Oval Office or you're sitting before that committee and you have a roadmap to bring this drug to the American people using the FDA processes, et cetera. How would you do that? What would be your advice today? I think there's, there's two things to do. The first is that the FDA needs to allow for multiple EUA, early use, emergency use authorizations for overlapping purposes. In other words, that the FDA should allow for a vaccine that might work, and it should allow for a medication for treatment and even prophylaxis, even prevention, that might work. It should not say that the first one that crosses the finish line is the only one, because in reality, the evidence for the effectiveness of those drugs is not certain when the FDA approves them. And there's no reason to think that just because the FDA approves a medication that it will solve the problem. And so the FDA needs to remove immediately the one clause in its criteria that says only the first one is the one that they're going to approve and nothing thereafter. That is the first thing. That at least begins to open the playing field. And I think that's a crucial thing. The second thing is that there are vested interests in making this a one-sided argument. And Dr. Fauci is part of the vested interest in doing so. And I think that my one voice, while it's only one, has been heard loudly, and Dr. Fauci has pushed back by adding voices to his. And so one hears Dr. Burks, Dr. Girard, Admiral Girard, and Dr. Fauci's NIH committees all piling on their voices to try to counteract my one. And I think one, the only way to counteract that is to have voices 
on our side of the discussion showing the correct interpretation of the scientific evidence. And that's crucial. And that's what needs to push back against the, the other voices. Thank you very much, Dr. Richie. I tell you what, you're always just an amazing guest. Uh, one last question. If we could get hydroxychloroquine through, what would be your estimation in the reduction in mortalities that we would be looking at? A conservative estimate is half. Um, a more likely estimate is 60% to two-thirds. And it's even possible if we were to have individualized med uh, medication prescriptions as the doctors in, in across the country, like Dr. Zelenko, Proctor, Crawford, other doctors across the country who are using this medication to treat their patients legally, they are using this medication, they achieve virtually 100% prevention of hospitalization or mortality. Very, very, very good results. Extraordinary stuff. Thank you very so, much. So, Dr. Rich, I guess we're going to see the tail of the tape in this is not going to be pretty. If we look back on this retrospectively, it's not going to be something that anybody is going to be proud of if it turns out that this is absolutely true. All right, Dr. Rich, we're going to have to let yes. you go, my friend, but we thank you so much. You really are just an admirable human being. We respect your moral courage and your uh, scientific integrity. And again, thank you so much for being on our show. And we'll be sharing Dr. Rich's article, as I say, across all of our different platforms. Uh, make sure you keep an eye out for it today. It's already in the YouTube live chat. I know a bunch of you are clicking on it. Make sure you're sharing it as well as widely as possible. War and Pandemic returns with Jack Maxi, Vishmur, Rahim Kassam, uh, Mark Evans from the protest, the uh, federal state of China in Toronto. We'll be back in just a second.